I was watching a movie not too long ago. It's a movie called The Book of Eli. And it's a, it's a movie I, I've really enjoyed. It. And it's kind of one of those movies that, like, you watch it and, you know, things are, things are happening, things are going on. And then something happens at the end of the movie. I won't spoil it for you because I'm not that guy. Uh, but something happens at the end of the movie that shifts your entire perspective on the movie. Something happens at the end that when you, you watch it a second time, you're like, oh, there were signs of this all the way through. Like, it's, it's the same thing in uh, The Sixth Sense, where something changes at the end that uh, gives you a new perspective on the, on the whole story. And it, it completely changes the way you look at it. And, uh, and that's, as we've been going through the book of Hebrews, that's kind of what's happening here. Uh, we've been uh, going through Hebrews for the past four weeks now. We've, if you, uh, you notice, we're doing a little bit, something a little bit different. We normally work in a four-week four series. We're doing a six-week here. Um, but the, the author of Hebrews, as we've been going through this, he's been taking the, the Hebrew audience through uh, this expanding framework of what God is doing. And as, as we've seen, uh, he goes through this, this argument that Jesus is superior to the angels. He's God's son. And, and Jesus is superior to Moses, the, uh, the hero of the faith. And uh, he's superior to the high priest. He's, he offers a superior covenant. And all of these things, he's been building this structure and enlarging the framework of uh, what the, the Hebrew scriptures have, have built on for, for several uh, thousand years. And, and so keeping in mind that the, the writer here, he's talking to a Hebrew audience. He's talking to the Jewish people. Um, they, are, they have this understanding of, of all these things. And so he's taking this framework and he's expanding it. And, and it's similar to what Jesus does. Jesus, you know, he says, you've heard it said, but I say to you. And he takes this idea that, uh, of, of something that's in the law and he expands on it. And he says, no, 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 it's so much more than that. And so that's, that's really what the author of Hebrews is doing here. And so this morning, uh, I get to talk about this. And, and this is where the, the book of Hebrews really comes to its, its focal point. And this is where the perspective on everything changes. Now, if you've kind of missed one of the messages, you can, uh, you can go back and you can catch up. All of our messages are online. Uh, you can find the link on uh, either one of our websites, either on promisechurch.ca or promisechurch.community. And while you're on promisechurch.community, you can uh, hit the Today's Message tab. And you'll be able to follow along with, uh, with the notes this morning. And if you have any comments or questions, you can put those in there. Uh, so I'm going to dive right in this morning and jump right into uh, Hebrews chapter 9. And uh, we're going uh, to read the first chunk of it now, and we'll get to this, the other chunk in a little bit. And uh, so, so Hebrews chapter 9. Now, even the first covenant had regulations for worship and an earthly place of holiness. For a tent was prepared, the, uh, the first section in which were the lampstand and the table and the bread of the presence. It is called the holy place. Behind the second curtain was a second section called the most holy place, having the golden altar of incense and the Ark of the Covenant covered on all sides with gold, in which was a golden urn holding the manna and Aaron's staff that budded and the tablets of the covenant. Above it were the cherubim of glory overshadowing the mercy seat. Of these things, we cannot now speak in detail. These preparations having thus been made, the priests go regularly into the first section, performing their ritual duties. 
But into the second, only the high priest goes, and he but once a year, and not without taking blood, which he offers for himself and for the unintentional sins of the people. By this, the Holy Spirit indicates that the way into the holy places is not yet opened, as long as the first section is still standing, which is symbolic for the present age. According to this arrangement, gifts and sacrifice are offered that cannot perfect the conscience of the worshiper, but deal only with food and drink and various washings, regulations for the body imposed until the time of reformation. Now, again, we, we kind of have to keep in mind that this is written to a Hebrew audience. And uh, what's interesting to note here is that the author of Hebrews doesn't talk about the temple. He talks about the tabernacle. Now, the temple is kind of like a, a newer version of the tabernacle, but it's, uh, it's something that not all of the Hebrew people would relate to. Uh, the, the temple was built in Jerusalem, and, and not everybody could make it to Jerusalem. So uh, the author intentionally here talks about the tabernacle. At this point in, uh, in Hebrew history, the, the Hebrew people had been scattered, and so there were synagogues all over the place, uh, and that's where most of the people would go for their worship. And, uh, and so they didn't necessarily relate to the temple itself. But they had the Hebrew scriptures, which they would have been very familiar with, uh, and, and that's where all of these details about the tabernacle were. So, so they would have been familiar with the tabernacle and, and all of the rituals and uh, all, all of the things that go with that, all of the whole sacrificial system, which we talked a little bit about last week, um, and we're going to continue talking about this morning. Now, if you've been following along with us, you also we've talked about how Jesus was the ultimate high priest. And, and here we get a little bit more about what the high priest does, what his role was. So the high priest was the only one who was able to enter the most holy place, the holy of holies. Uh, it was, you know, it was through the high priest. The high priest was a mediator, was the, the person that you would go to the high priest and the high priest would go into the holy of holies on your behalf and only once a year. And so again, it was, it was this thing that, as the writer of Hebrews is expanding on the, uh, the structures of what has come before, he, he's taking this and expanding it again and saying, okay, Jesus is our high priest and he is the one who gives us access to God. That's gonna come back in a, in a little bit. So as, as the high priest is the one that goes into the Holy of Holies, he's the one that goes into the presence of God. And there were a whole bunch of rules and laws about how that happened. So uh, through... The, the time that the high priest would go into the Holy of Holies, into the most holy place, was the Day of Atonement. And again, all of this is, like the, the writer of Hebrews actually just says like, hey, here's, you know, here's how it is, but I don't have time to go into that because he knows the audience he's speaking to is already familiar with all of this stuff. Uh, but we in our 21st century don't really always have that understanding because we don't have to, you know, we don't live with that. We don't necessarily grow up studying the Old Testament scriptures. So uh, the Day of Atonement, last week, uh, Pastor Tim talked about the new covenant uh, and that in order to receive the blessings of the covenant, you needed to follow the law 100%. If you were like 99.9% .9 accurate, you failed. Like it was, it was all or nothing. It was 100% or nothing. And, and so in order to live according to the law, there was this sacrificial system that was put in place. 
so that when you messed up, because we all know it's, it's inevitable, uh, you mess up, you know it, you take your sacrifice to the priest, the priest makes atonement for your sins, and once again, you're in right standing with God. Hooray! Until the next time you mess up. And then you got to go back and do it all again. And you have to do this over and over and over. And it's, uh, it's a system that, that happens again and again. But that was just for the stuff that you know you did. Anybody here know you're, you know, people are fallible and, you know, we do stuff and we mess stuff up without even knowing it? Yeah, I've, every once in a while you do something and you're like, oh, right, that. Yeah, I wasn't supposed to do that, was I? Hmm. So there was a system for that as well. This was, that's what the Day of Atonement is. So once a year, the, the high priest gets to go into the Holy of Holies and, and present an offering on behalf of the people for the sins they didn't know they had done. Uh, so it's kind of like this whole, you know, you do your, your sacrifices for the things that you know you've done, and then the Day of Atonement is kind of a catch-all for the rest. And, and it was a day that uh, was a holy day that was there in place to purify the people from their unknown and unintentional sins. Uh, and there's a line in here that, that talks about the mercy seat. And again, this is another one of those things where uh, the, the Hebrew audience, you could just say that and they would understand it. But to us, it's not necessarily something that we understand. And so the mercy seat uh, was actually the place in between the wings of the cherubim on top of the Ark of the Covenant. It was a, a super specific uh, location where God made his presence available to the people. This was the one place on earth where God would manifest his presence. And, and so this was where God specifically chose to be uh, in, uh, it was God's dwelling on earth. Uh, and so when the priest would go into the Holy of Holies, he would have to do all sorts of purification rituals. There were a whole number of, of hoops that he would have to jump through before he could go into the presence of God. And all of these requirements were, were stressed. They were very much, you had to do this. If the priest didn't do any of these rituals, if he, if he missed even one of them, when he went into the presence of God, if he was not right, if he had messed up one of those rituals or missed one, dead. Uh, there's, uh, there's instructions in the Bible about what the priest was supposed to wear. And one of the garments that he wore uh, had bells attached to the, the hem of the robe that he wore. Uh, and so it actually says so that the, the bells will jingle as you enter the presence of God. But one of the things that uh, anecdotally kind of came up as, uh, as the sacrifice would happen is if you could hear the bells jingling, you knew the priest was still alive and he hadn't been struck dead in the presence of God. It's not actually uh, specifically mentioned in the Bible, but anecdotally, this was kind of one of those things that, uh, that came up. And uh, we actually see this in, in Luke chapter one, uh, Zechariah, the high priest, when, he, uh, when he's told about the, when he, the birth of John the Baptist is foretold, Zechariah, he's the high priest, he goes in on the day of atonement uh, and he meets with an angel of the Lord. And it actually says in, in Luke chapter one that the people are started to wonder what was taking Zechariah so long? So while he's in there meeting with the angel of God, everybody thought he was dead. You know, real great that he wasn't. But, you know, so all of this is, is how the people would meet with God. So uh, there's the temple, or sorry, there's the tabernacle that the priest would go into to meet with God. And he would have to enter with the sacrifice of an animal 
in order to be able to do that. So here's where, so we're going to pick back up uh, Hebrews chapter 9, uh, verses 11 through 28. But when, uh, when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, he entered once for all into the holy places. Uh, not by the means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? Therefore, he is the mediator of a new covenant, so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance, since a death has occurred that redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. For where a will was involved, the death of the one who made it must be established. For a will takes effect only at death, since it is not in force as long as the one who made it is alive. Therefore, not even the first covenant was inaugurated without blood. For when every commandment of the law had been declared by Moses to all the people, he took the blood of calves and goats with water and scarlet wool and hyssop and sprinkled both the book itself and all the people, saying, This is the blood of the covenant that God commanded for you. And in the same way, he sprinkled with the blood both the tent and the vessels used in worship. Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins." Thus, it was necessary for the copies of the heavenly things to be purified with these rites, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ has entered not into holy places made with human hands, which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. Nor was it to offer himself repeatedly as the high priest enters the holy places every year with blood not his own. For then he would have had to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. But as it is, he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sins, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. And so here we start to see like here here's where the author is starting to pull all these threads together and he's starting to say like here's here's the big idea that uh that changes everything he talks about christ being a superior sacrifice so what what makes jesus the superior sacrifice so he enters the holy place through through the sacrifice of his blood now the author takes takes the time here to, to talk about the tent, to say, like, this is where the priest would go in to meet with God. This is the physical place on earth. But Jesus here, he doesn't enter the tabernacle. He doesn't enter the temple. He enters the very presence of God himself. Going back to the argument that Jesus is superior to the angels, Jesus can meet with God. Jesus can go directly into the presence of God. Because the, the tabernacle, the temple, all of this system that was set up was just a shadow, was just a copy of the real thing. Have you ever 
seen somebody's vacation photos and you know they're showing all these photos and they're and you're like oh that's beautiful it's so gorgeous and and you know they always hear this response oh it, like this doesn't do it justice you have to see that for yourself this is this is the kind of the same thing where this system like it's a picture of the real thing but it's not the real thing the real thing is so much better so jesus enters directly into the presence of god second he does it willingly he does it knowingly. So whenever you would take the the uh, the sacrifice, whenever you take the goat, the bull, the the lamb, the heifer, whatever sacrifice you needed to make, you would bring that sacrifice to the priest. But the goat doesn't know what's going on. The lamb has no idea that its sacrifice is purifying you. Jesus knowingly and willingly takes this sac- goes on goes and does this sacrifice himself the animals that you would sacrifice they're non-comprehending they probably didn't cooperate half of the time but jesus goes in willingly he takes this on of his own volition and third it's ultimate and definitive so we you know we already talked about this last week where uh, pastor tim talked about how anytime the people sin you had to go and make a sacrifice and then you'd sin again you'd go make another sacrifice and you had to go in day after day year after year and this is this is something where jesus again comes in and shows his superiority where he only has to be sacrificed once he he goes in he makes the sacrifice and secures our eternal redemption for all time now this is this is a big deal we, we kind of, in our 21st century mindset, we, we go, oh yeah, we kind of take it for granted sometimes. But for somebody who uh, would have been in that, under that sacrificial system that they would have had to go in repeatedly again and again to offer sacrifices, knowing that it was done and taken care of and paid for, that's a huge deal. That's a, a massive change in perspective for them. And when Christ comes again, verse 26 says this, that, uh, that Christ isn't going to be concerned with sin because that's already dealt with. The sacrifice he's made already takes care of sin. And when he comes again, he'll be concerned with the salvation of his people. And so here's where it all ties together. The sacrifice fulfills the entire sacrificial system once and for all. So the sacrifices, they were, they were set up as a temporary covering. Uh, it was, again, like, like I said, once you messed up again, you had to go back and, and do another sacrifice. A- and when Christ goes in, when Christ makes a sacrifice, it's once and for all. Takes care of sin eternally. Goes all the way back to the beginning of time. Goes all the way forward to the end of time. That's, like, it's all covered. All sin, all the time. Covered by Christ's sacrifice. I, I love the way the the message puts this in chapter a little bit later in chapter ten. The message says this: Every priest goes to work at the altar each day, offers the same old sacrifices year in year out, and never makes a dent in the sin problem. As a priest, Christ made a single sacrifice for sins, and that was it. Then he sat down right beside God and waited for his enemies to cave in. It was a perfect sacrifice by a perfect person to perfect some very imperfect people. By that single offering, he did everything that needed to be done for everyone who takes part in the purifying process. It's a once and for all covers everybody for all time. This is 
just it's mind blowing that that God in this one sacrifice covers all of the covers all of the sins for for all time. So it, again, one of these things that that uh, we don't necessarily kind of understand at first glance is any time the the priests would go in and they would serve in the tabernacle or or serve in the temple, there were no chairs. It's the entire time that they were serving, they would be standing. They would be continually offering sacrifices for the sins of the people. They would stand the entire time that they were doing their priestly duties. But Jesus, I I love the simplicity of this, that Jesus goes in, he makes his sacrifice, and he sits at the right hand of God. Anybody ever, like, you, you, you do a hard day's work, you get home and you just, you sit on the couch and you're like, ah, yes, it's done. That's what Jesus is doing. He's, he sits down at the right hand of God because the work is done. It's already taken care of. And so once we're, once we're freed up from the, the guilt and the shame associated with our sin, one, now that that sacrifice is made and it's all covered, we are now freed up to focus on what God wants us to do in light of that. And, and we're going to talk a little bit more about uh, how we live in the light of Christ's superiority next week. But when we're, when we're free from that guilt, when we're free from the shame of our sin, we don't have to struggle to, to live the right way so that we can be made right with God because we've already been made right with God. And we live in a new way in light of that. So we're going to get into that a little bit more next week. But so this is this is where it all ties together. Again, like one of those you know movies or, or TV shows where you know a bunch of random events happen, kind of like in the early part of the movie or, or like the first couple episodes of the the season of the TV show, and then you know something happens at the end that pulls it all together. This is what this is where it all pulls together. This is the big idea that the author of Hebrews has been building to this entire time, and, and this is what it is. So Jesus, he's God's son. He's superior to the angels. He's superior to Moses, the the initiator of the first covenant. He's superior to the high priest. He offers a superior covenant and he is the superior sacrifice. So when you take all of that, when you pull all of that together, you get this. Jesus is the only way that humanity has access to God. So where before, you know, the... As, as Pastor Tim talked about last week, God set up this perfect system. So he set up this, this system in which the people could come to him. And, and it was, the system was perfect. There was nothing wrong with the system. It was people who were imperfect. It was people that could never possibly hope to live up to the expectations of the law. But Jesus comes and, and he fulfills our end of the covenant on our behalf. So what you would do is you would take your offering to the high priest who would then go into the presence of God to act as the mediator so that you could fulfill the covenant. But now Jesus comes and he changes everything. We go to Jesus, who is the perfect sacrifice, who is our high priest, who goes directly into the presence of God. He is the mediator. All of these things, all this entire time, the author of Hebrews has been building this argument to the point where it says, where, where we realize that Jesus is the only way that humanity has access to God. This is why we can make the, the offensive claim that faith in Jesus is the only way. Because 
the system that God set up for us to be able to meet with him is fully realized in the person of Jesus. He's the only way. He's being fully human, fully God. He becomes the superior mediator of the, of the new covenant. And this, this is a revolutionary idea. Again, we, it's something that we, in our, our 21st century mindset, we can kind of take it for granted because we don't necessarily have an understanding. We, we never experienced the, the, uh, the sacrificial system. Uh, we don't, we haven't had to, I don't think anybody here, hopefully, nobody here has offered a sacrifice to, to try and appease God. Because we have the access to God through the person of Jesus. Jesus fulfills the entire system once for all. And this is, this is good news for us. And, and you might be saying like, okay, so, so what? How do, how does this, how does this affect me? You know, I'm not, you know, I'm not uh, a Jewish person. I I'd never have thought about offering a sacrifice, but how many of us here have, have tried to, to live right? How many people of us, how many people here have tried to, you know, do all the right things and say the right words so that we can achieve our own, uh, achieve our own way to God, kind of make our own way. We don't have to do that. Jesus has made the way. He has paid the price so that we have access to God. It all points to Jesus. The perfect sacrifice, the ultimate high priest, it's Jesus. The one who mediates the new covenant, it's Jesus. The one, our high priest that we go to is Jesus. And Jesus, being God himself, makes the way possible for us. It's not about what we do. It's not about the perfection that we strive for to make our way into the presence of God because God has come to us and made the way possible for us. And this is the big idea of Hebrews. This is the whole point. Jesus is the way that we have access to God. When we look at this covenant, when we look at what we've been offered, we see that Jesus is superior by far. He offers a new way. And when there's, when there's something new, when there's a better way, why would you ever go back to an older way? I recently uh, bought a, a new car. It's, well, it's a used car, but it's new to me. And it is in every conceivable way better than my old car. Everything works. I don't have to, you know, pray that it's going to start every time I turn the key. It's great. You know, the parking brake, I can pull it and it doesn't, you know, snap or, you know, it actually holds my car in place on a hill. It's great. I love it. So why on earth would I ever want to, you know, go and take my old car back and be like, no, 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 I I prefer the old way. I want to do it the old way. No, even if I could, like it's at a wrecker, it's, it's gone. But even if, even if I could, I wouldn't want to. And it brings the question for us, like why, when something superior has been given to you, when something superior, uh, when a new way is made, why on earth would you ever want to do things the old way? Let's pray. Jesus, this morning we, we look on, upon your sacrifice. We look at what you have done for us. 
We look at the way that you made it possible for us to meet with you. And we stand in awe, knowing that we could never make the way ourselves, knowing that in our imperfection, we could never attain the level of perfection that you require. We are humbled by the knowledge that you instead made a way for us to come to you. That we can come to Jesus and stand in the presence of God, free from sin, free from shame, free from guilt, ready to live in a new way, a new way that is offered under the covenant that you established. And we stand in awe of what you have done. So God, we, we thank you. And we, we offer ourselves to live in light of what you have done and the way you have made for us. And we give ourselves to your purposes and your desires and the way that you want us to live as we see your heart. As we live in a new covenant made possible by you and you alone. Thank you, God. Thank you. Amen.